Hey folks, and welcome to the Team Builder Podcast. I am your host, Hewitt Tomlin. I'm one of the co-founders here at Team Builder. We are the number one strength and conditioning software for strength coaches. We are an alternative to Excel. Uh, We have a mobile app for athletes. If you are training athletes remotely uh, or even in facility, you ought to check out Team Builder. So today my guest is Michael Rankin. Uh, Michael is the Director of Strength and Conditioning at Drexel University in Philadelphia. I've known Michael now for, I think, probably six years, maybe even longer. Um, But Michael is actually an 18-year tenured strength coach at Drexel, meaning he's been coaching at Drexel for 18 years. And he's kind of a cornerstone in this Philadelphia area strength and conditioning community. And that is a really tight-knit community, which we talk about on this podcast. So I I always consider Michael just a really great voice of reason and a great thinker when it comes to things, not only in strength and conditioning, but just in college athletics as a whole. So in this episode, you're going to hear us talk about the future of college sports, um, how they are linked to college football and basketball and whether they should continue to be linked. And then we talk into, uh, we talk about Athlete for Life, which is a program that Michael does, which is really unique in which he writes training programs for his alumni. They pay a small monthly fee, which acts as a donation to his strength and conditioning department. So he's actually fundraising while writing programs for alumni and making sure that they're getting better health outcomes after they graduate and maintaining relationships, uh, maintaining a strong alumni network, which I I think is just really, really awesome. So enjoy this podcast and uh, let me know your thoughts. Hey, Mike, what's going on? What's up, Hewitt? How are you? Good, man. Good. Um, so you're in uh, Philadelphia. I am right in Center City, Philly. Yeah, there you go. In Drexel. Typically, that's really convenient, but right now it is not real manageable. Yeah, I can imagine. So is it different, you know, being at home more often that you're at work now? Is that the case? Oh, it's the most I've ever been home in my entire life. So probably the first time I've ever slept past five o'clock in the morning since I was a child. So, you know, I understand why the kids complain coming in in the morning. Now it'll be a real struggle getting back into the routine. You got to get back into the routine. What are some of the reasons that you go back uh, to to Drexel to the weight room? Uh, Right now I'm not allowed in the weight room. So, I mean, I'm in the city because that I live a mile from Drexel's facility. So, which has always been, you know, great since I moved in here. I mean, you wake up, you ride your bike down and you're right in the office. Um, if you need to get home, it's, you know, a five to seven minute ride. Um, but you know, we've been shut down from that. So I'm not allowed in my office. I think I am now. So I might roll in tomorrow for the first time since March, um, and see if I can set up some PPE stuff, just kind of get my bearings, you know, again, as to what I see the flow being if if and when we return so you know i don't even know if we're going to be allowed to use the weight room so we'll see i'm still waiting the question mark it is but you know we'll make it work we'll make whatever we'll figure it out um and get our kids back to moving and you know something that's productive so that they can be together and and be just to me it's having fun and being active again so yeah. I think that's something that through communication, they're really lacking. They're missing that. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine. Um, what do you do to, to fill your time? And by the way, have you talked to other strength coaches and asked them the same question? Like, you know, what are you doing with the, the time away from the weight room? Yeah. So 
I guess two weeks ago, three weeks ago, we started having some city like Zoom calls again. So uh, Penn, LaSalle, Temple, Villanova, St. Joe's, like we'll jump on a Zoom. Um, Rosemont, some of the, you know, any schools that kind of want to jump on and just kind of communicate as to, you know, what they're going through and how we anticipate coming back, that tends to be, you know, a majority of the conversation. So Temple right now is the one school that for over a month now has been partially back. Um, There's a lot of um, football and a couple other sports. Okay. So, but they've been training completely outside under tents. So a lot of the conversation with um, Tim Teefy, who's the strength coach over there, has been invaluable to, to just kind of get a gauge as to how the coaches feel, how the athletes feel about being back on campus, the different protocols that they've kind of gone through, and you know what they anticipate for those of us who are going to open back up. Yeah. Uh, because as good as your plan is – there's going to be bumps in the road. There's going to be things that come up. You know, it's, we live in a world where there is no way for any of us as coaches to, to look our athletes in the eyes and go, yeah, this, this is a 100% safe environment right now. And those are the questions that we get. It's, you know, Hey coach, how are you going to make this, how are you going to make this safe for us? And I think from my standpoint, it's just being blatantly honest, um, which those who know me, that's pretty much how I roll. So it's explaining to the kids that when we do come back, my first priority will and always will be making sure that this is the safest environment that we can provide, but there's no 100%, um, especially in the world um, of COVID right now. So I think just being upfront with them and saying, hey, look, we're going to make sacrifices the same way that we're going to ask you to. And there's going to be some discomfort along the way. You know, my first instinct was to say, well, if MLB and NBA had their bumps in the road and they have the most resources, then of course there's going to be bigger challenges for colleges like Drexel. But at the same time, a lot of the success of the return to play is based on the individual's, um, you know, compliance within the guidelines. That's, that's a big part of it. And if you have a team with a great buy-in and coaches that buy-in, then you can buy into a safe plan and, and probably experience a higher degree of success. We, I mean, that's our hope. Uh, you know, there's things that we can't cut out. You know, it's, we're in an urban environment. So every time you walk out the door, it's, it's not a controlled area. So, you know, it's not a true bubble. Yeah. And, you know, as much as, you know, social distancing and wearing some kind of a face covering and making as many, I think, choices to protect yourself, there's going to be things that still are outside of your control um, and things that you might choose to do that, you know what, other people might, might not. It's all rationalizing it. And we can't shelter in place forever. You know, I think that that, you know, we've been doing this for how long now? Almost six months. Yeah. So, you know, there has to be some semblance of returning, but can we do that in in a way that we feel is appropriate um, and in the best interest of not only the students, but of the staff and the community? You know, this is a time where I feel it's we're really going to get to see if people can think outside of themselves and understand the magnitude and the impact that you have on others 
So, you know, are people willing to do that? Are they willing to take into not only their own account of health, but, but those that they're going to come in contact with? Yeah. You know, and I, that's, that's what we enter into on a college campus. Do you think that part of the reason Temple is partially back is because they have FBS football? Is that, is that part of it? You know, I'm not going to – I don't know if I want to venture into whys. Like, I think that football – I mean, you can see that around the country right now. Look, football and sports in general have become a huge factor in our economy. So I think that people will go to any length yeah. to get the economy back and going. My The tug of war here is – because I think, look, all of us want to go back to work. Like – yeah, this is the first time I've experienced not like working pretty much every day of the week. I don't like it. I want to go back. But I also want to be able to look the people in the eyes and go, yes, we're making sure that your health is still first and foremost. And that's a real big struggle when you start to talk about, well, wait, like if we don't go back soon, maybe we don't have jobs to go back to. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, do you just want to put your head down and start running into it full force as an athlete? I mean, yeah, that's probably my first instinct. But when you sit back and you listen to the professionals, and even though there's a lot of varying back and forth, it doesn't seem like there's any consistent message. When you talk about football, whether it be at Temple or one of the big five schools, or think about even in the CAA, with when the CAA announced that we were going to basically postpone uh, fall championships and and fall sports, there were still a couple football schools that wanted to explore continuing to play. Mm-hmm. Um, that has since, you know, now that there isn't enough participants, uh, that has since stopped. Like, I don't think that there's any CA schools still looking, yeah. but there's a lot of money there. Think about from like a school in the CAA playing one, two, three guaranteed games that's a huge part of your athletic revenue and something that you rely on. So I don't blame anybody from, from the standpoint of trying to, to make it work. It's just a matter of why can't we as a nation get to a point where we have one consistent message as to what is safe and what's not. Yeah. Um, you know, and that continues with the big five. It's like, I was really hoping to see really good leadership in that regard to see them come together. And no matter what the message was, whether you move forward or you don't, that it came as a unified message that we all agreed that this was in the best interest across the board. Yeah. And we don't, we have this divided and we're looking at medical, you know, advice from, from doctors in one league to doctors in another. It just, it just raises more confusion as to what people should be doing. Agreed. We have school presidents that are, differing with their conference and then we have players differing with the conference and perhaps the schools um not unified at all so you know look on my phone last week i get a you know one of these news push notifications and it's a mainstream uh news article and a large publication is talking about the future of sports because of football and it, it kind of made me reflect a little bit on my c- collegiate career um, I played Division three football, so we didn't make money. Um, but if it was massively important to me, not for my identity, although that was part of it, but because of things like structure, relationships, and resources. I mean, 
sports mean a lot. And we saw Stanford cut some sports and, you know, the, the prediction is that maybe some sports won't be playing. It kind of makes me think that we should probably rethink sports and how they're so hinged on football sometimes and think about sports as like a utility. I mean, this is a public good, even if it doesn't make money, can we find more resilient ways in the future to fund collegiate sports rather than making them reliant on football? I don't know if you have any thoughts about that. Um, I mean, I've been saying this for years. It's if football and or basketball split off from the NCAA, I think that college sports, the way we currently know it gets blown up. Yeah. Because I don't think that um, it's a mystery that those two sports generate a tremendous amount of revenue um, across the board. And they keep some other sports able to continue to uh, bring in and actually compete where it's, you know, you're talking about sports that make no money whatsoever, generate no money whatsoever, but you know, it's still a valuable part of an athletic department. But if basketball and football go away, do varsity sports in college become almost like a club system where now they're paying to play? Mm-hmm. You know, what's the value? It's like, you know, both of us played Division three football. There's not a whole lot of money. You know, you figure out like packages and things like that, depending on, you know, what your circumstances are. But it's all it's typically academic, you know, driven as opposed to, yeah, we're bringing you in on an athletic scholarship. So, you know, to me, it's the value to continue to play was because you love the sport, you love the relationship, you love the values that you got from it. And I don't think that that's much different at, at Division One and things like that. But, you know, there is this, it's a job. You know, you, you have to live up to these obligations when you get to that point in some cases. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'd hate to say that sport at that level has lost a little bit of what its true nature is. But that's kind of what I feel in this. It's like, what are we really looking to do? Are we looking to bring football back the way that we love it with the big five? Or are we trying to bring it back because we know that there's billions of dollars involved? If there wasn't that money involved, would we be pushing so hard right now? You know, and you know, locally, you look at, let's bring it out of college. Let's look at high schools and, you know, even like below that, youth, peewee. When our governor basically put out, I think a week or two ago said, you know, PIAA, which is basically like the oversight said, you know, we recommend that there's no high school, you know, sports this fall and really until at least January, people went crazy. And I get it. Like, I understand it. Like, people are losing their senior years. You know, they're losing a very small window of which you get to actually go out and compete at that level. Same in college. But the arguments were, no, wait, sports do this. They do that. It's like, this. how are they going to to learn? They're going to miss all this. And it's, yeah, I get all of that. Nobody is saying that there isn't value in athletics. There isn't value in team sports or individual sports. But what we are saying is that the competition might not, the biggest competition might not be on the field or on a court right now. The competition is this invisible opponent that, you know what, it could kill somebody. You know, yes, kids and people in general, good health, 
have a lower risk of it being something where it ends their life. But this is where it brings me back to, but it might end somebody else's. You know, if you have somebody in your family who is high risk, um, isn't in the best of health, and you inadvertently carry that, that that's the risk that we're in. And, you know, yeah, like I'd still, I'd love to say yes, as a football player or an athlete in general, let's get back to work. Let's go do this. But does the risk outweigh the benefit? Um, And that's, I juggle with that every day. And I think a lot of people do across the country. Yeah, it's, you have to take a long-term perspective because living life like usual might just draw this thing out to where, you know, you might be skipping a couple seasons instead of one. Uh, at least that, that's, you know, the way I look at it. Um, that, that's a tough subject. I mean, we, we could do the whole podcast on this, but, you know, we're not. It just, it's just very relevant. So obviously we should talk about it. Um, let's talk about your background and your career. Like me, Division Three football player in Maryland. Back then, your alma mater was called Western Maryland. Now it's called McDaniel. Correct. Tremendous football history for Division Three. Uh, I know that because my head coach at one time, yeah, because my head coach when I played always talked about Western Maryland and how they were the the standard in the conference that we played in. Um, so. Did you graduate and I, I, look, I'm shooting in the dark here. Did you graduate as a college football player and, and love, love the weight room and thought that you wanted to get into that right away? Or did you have a different path into strength? And conditioning? So, I mean, my path is a little different. I went in and, you know, my experience at Western Maryland was, I mean, fantastic. You couldn't play on a better team. The coaches extremely driven, very knowledgeable. You know, the guys on that team, uh, you can't say enough good things. You know, it's a championship team that really didn't lose a regular season game yeah. uh, in four years. Um, unfortunately, my freshman year, I hurt my neck probably. So I knew I couldn't go back. It was the first time um, at the end of the season I had dropped 40, 50 pounds and couldn't like just couldn't bring myself to go back and not be a participant. So I transferred out. Um, hoping that being closer to home, seeing my team doctors, physical therapists, that I would walk on at Westchester. Um, But that pain never really went away. So, you know, not to bring it back to COVID, it's like, and I say this all the time, I think that that was a driving factor for me. You never know when your last game is going to be. Mm -hmm. So you should make sure that you're putting everything out there. I've never regretted my career. I've never regretted um, maybe not going back, uh, because I feel like I left it every day in practice and any competition that I was in on the field and in my preparation to go out there. Um, so, you know, to me, it's when I look at athletes, it's, Hey, don't take this time for granted because you just don't know. There's no definitive. Yeah. You're going to play for this long. Um, and you know, that's what I think some kids are experiencing right now. Yeah. You know, it's outside of injury. It's outside of, but some people played their last game and they had no idea. Some people had their last practice and their last bus ride, their last jokes in the locker room. And if you can look back and know that up until that point, you put everything in, there's no regrets. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so that's kind of where I started, but I had a strength coach in that one year and I can remember talking to him in the hallway after a lift. I always knew I wanted to do something that was physically based. I didn't care. I mean, my whole life, I think I was born to do what I'm doing. 
Um, but I remember talking to Coach Gill in the hallway, and I go, how do I do this for a living? And he goes, you know, you get into coaching, you know, and I go, I don't want to coach football. I just want to be in the weight room. And it was the first time that somebody said that that was a possibility and a career. Because to me, it was like, that was my dream. So I didn't think that you could get paid to do it. Yeah. I just thought people did it for fun. <laughs> and, you know, in combination with something else. And we talked briefly about it. Um, and I never forgot that conversation. And when I got to Westchester, I was still on like a physical education um, route because I thought that that's what, you know, I kind of had to do. And then I went to, I started going to conferences and I met Mike Boyle and, you know, hearing him speak and, you know, knowing where he was and doing more research and going, oh, this is, you know, this is kind of what I want to do. And that's what I did. Is it because it felt like Mike Boyle was exploring like a new like dimension of strength and conditioning prior to what you had been educated you know on? What? Uh, I, th- I mean, my background, I think I couldn't have um, better people to have experience with. So I grew up in one of the better powerlifting gyms in the area. Um, I did not, I'm very fortunate to have one of the strongest people on the planet and Anthony McCluskey mm-hmm. um, in my gym um, and working alongside side me and with our athletes. So, and he and I grew up pretty much a mile apart, but he trained at Glen Mill School where his dad was like the coach and oversaw their team. That was the strongest team for over a decade. Um, and maybe longer than that. You'd have to ask Anthony the, the specifics. But the gym up in Exton that I worked out at, it was all power lifters. So mm-hmm. that was what I did when I wasn't playing football or another sport. It was learning how to do the three lifts and incorporating that into um, how that was going to make me a better football player. When I met Mike Boyle, that's an introduction. I'm like, oh, I really like what he's presenting. I liked his, just how he writes and how he speaks. I was pretty drawn into to that style. So I think the next week I applied for an internship, and within a month I drove up or took a train up to Boston uh, to see the facility to see if it was a good fit for me. Um, and on the spot with Ed Lippy, who was running the internship at the time, um, said that they'd love to bring me on. And it, I mean, to this day is probably the best decision, um, and opportunity I've ever had in this. And then you just meet people like Leo Totten. So you start to learn a tremendous amount more, um, about Olympic lifting. I had that opportunity at Westchester when he came in and taught, you know, at that time, like a club coach. Um, course. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the mixture of Olympic lifting, power lifting, and then functional training through Mike, I feel very well-rounded. I certainly don't know at all. Um, always open to, to learning new things from people all over the country. And there's new things all the time, but I feel really good with my circle and how I ended up where I am. Yeah. How long have you been at Drexel now? Uh, 18 years, I think. That's more than the average, huh? It is more than the average, something I'm pretty proud of. And I've said to people recently, in a time where um, leadership, I think, has been pretty spotty, I've never been more proud to be a Dragon. I think that our administration and our staff um, have done an excellent job um, of being honest, 
and making decisions that are really, really difficult to make during this time. So, you know, being in this spot, I'm so glad that I am. What do you think the, the reason is that you've been able to, to have such a long tenure? Is it because your teams win or what, what's it about? Um, I don't know if I could put my finger on that completely. I, I think that people can see, I think you have to have some kind of results. You know, do we win championships every year? We don't. Um, and that's, you know, if that was all that I was being evaluated on, I'd be pretty disappointed. You know, I don't think that that's what athletics is all about. You know, do I think winning is important? Of course I do. Um, but it's not the only thing that you should be taking from the coaches that you're working with. And I always felt at home, uh, at Drexel, not only in my facility, but on campus, because I think that our first priority is making sure that our student athletes have a great experience, whether they win, lose, or draw, and that we're all having an impact on who they're going to be during the four years or five years that we have them uh, and being able to carry that with them for the rest of their lives. So, you know, the passion that I have in the weight room, I think everybody knows it's, you know, you're going to show up first and hopefully be the last one to leave. Um, But the caring about what actually is going on Um, I think has been a big factor as to why we've basically worked together and chosen each year for me to stay, um, stay on at Drexel. Yeah. Um, So you're a guy who I would say is physically cultured. Uh, You've got assistants that are physically cultured. You you mentioned Anthony, who's a, you know, uh, an elite power lifter. Um, Do you think that helps with your, um, with your, um, relationship with your athletes do you think it's important for for coaches to to physically have some sort of aspect or dimension to them I don't think it's the only thing you know I think that one you know the old adage of you know the kids need to know how much you care before you know anything else so you know to me that's something that either comes through me um, or comes through my assistants you know to me it's sometimes I'm that guy kind of behind the curtain sometimes when I want to show them how much I care Um, and I've always felt that sometimes if I do that, you could be taken advantage of. I don't want to be the guy who's too soft, um, where all of a sudden you can't, you have no order. Um, so my assistants, typically it's, you're going to be the most liked people on campus. That's, that's, I express that very, very early. Um, if there's a big problem, then those kids should, should come into me. Something that, um, you guys feel that only I can handle, um, but at first, I'm very, this is what our rules are. You know, I come off harder than I'd like to uh, because I don't think that you can reverse that. If you come off easy, it's hard to go to the other side. But the reverse is much better. So, you know, to me, it's relations, relationships are extremely important to me. Sometimes I have to hold off until they're like juniors or seniors to really, you know, build on that more. Yeah. Um, you build the foundation. Jump in. Yeah, I think the kids, I'll jump into workouts. I mean, when I feel that that can be a benefit, so do my, so does my staff. We are a practice what you preach. Anything that we put up on our guidelines and rules for how that gym works, oh, that's for us too. Mm-hmm. It doesn't do as I say, not as I do. Yeah, We're going to come in and walk the walk and talk the talk as much as we expect our kids to. Yeah. 
So you put yourself out there physically, you show a good effort. Tell, tell me about some of the things that you do. I know like for your birthday, you like to go out and torture yourself and, you know. <laughs> I, I wouldn't call it torture. It looks uh, like torture to me. <laughs> it, for, I definitely am a rare breed. Um, you know, I will put, I will use myself as an example as much as I can. And the birthday challenges, um, I think, recently have taken on all new light. So a couple of years I donated uh, my birthday to the Lupus Foundation, something I feel very strongly about. Um, so it was, how can I not only raise awareness, but you know maybe raise some funds at the same time. So even though I've been doing birthday challenges, I don't know, maybe for like 10 years now, um, you know, watching Jack LaLanne, I think did something similar. So if anybody is old enough to know who that is, um, I was like, oh, I kind of like that idea. Let me go out and do some kind of a physical challenge. I've done, last year was probably the hardest one. I don't know if I fully recovered from it. So I carried 41 people up um, the Philadelphia Art Museum steps. So the, the same Rocky, the Rocky steps. Yes, the famed Rocky steps. It took, I had it all calculated out and it actually stayed to schedule. It took me about three hours um, to do it. Various weights, it didn't matter. People were allowed to sign up. Um, Did you carry Anthony? I, uh, Anthony, I don't think came down because we were working. Um, so, you know, the gym was still kind of open and his hours are different. But a lot of my family, people from, you know, uh, the Lupus Foundation came down. There were people at the steps who signed up. There were other strength coaches like Todd Barnes who came out, um, which again, it's like, you just don't forget these things. So, you know, it was, it's as emotionally uh, invigorating as it is physically. Mm -hmm. And I want to see what I can still do. You know, it's, I don't know how many other people would go out and do that. Not many, and I wouldn't advise it necessarily. Um, but for me, it was something that brought a lot of people together. It did get some publicity, uh, raised, you know, a good amount of money. So, you know, that, the Red Bull 400, anybody who's looking for a challenge with running a very short distance, but straight uphill, that might be the hardest physical challenge I've ever done. Is that 400 meters uphill? It's 400 meters up an Olympic ski jump. So 400 meters in total height, then it's just a steep hill you got to climb. It is, a, I think it's graded at like a 37 or 38% incline. So... And like, how would you train for that? Because you don't have a hill like that near you. You get on the Versa Climber? I don't. The Versa Climber is a great, yeah, I definitely utilize that. We would do, on days where I couldn't get to a hill, I would um, obviously do an incline on the treadmill, not the same. Yeah. did a lot of band simulation, you know, towing. So it's like bands over each shoulder and then two or three people holding me. Um, the traction was hard with that. Yeah. I mean, I felt like my training was good. The first one I did was in Utah, and the altitude I almost killed me. You can't replicate uh, that, can you? You can't in any way replicate that. That's the yeah. first time I've seen. I said to somebody, the picture that they took of me at the top, I've never seen the look of fear in my eyes. <laughs> and it was, I was like, I don't really ever want to look at that picture again. I mean, it was well, one of the another first things, right? Your, your, your climate, it's still kind of scary. It's steep and it's tall. I mean, yeah, you can't turn around. If you've ever like stood on top of a ski hole skiing or on top of a hill, I mean, it's kind of scary. If you think about running up and yeah, most people go down, not many people go back yeah. up. So, you know, if it's something, 
that is a challenge that, I mean, I would like to do again, um, but it's recruiting. The second time I did it, uh, well, both times I went up with alumni and it was like they wanted to train for something that was hard. And I was like, yeah, let's, let's go do it. So we took road trips. We went up. Um, one was in Whistler. So I've gone to Whistler twice. The first one was canceled because of smoke. Yeah. Uh, we ran it in the smoke. We kind of broke in and ran a portion of it. Um, and then I went to Utah and then the next year I went back to Whistler. What a great place. I mean, what, I mean, just fabulous. I would go up there every year, but the, the challenge of running that dude, it's, it's no joke. It's the real deal. It is the real deal. So it's just different too. You know, it's not like running a marathon. It's not like doing a a three hour wad. It's, it's different. It's different. It's not, I mean, not going to sit here and compare it to like a bunch of other things because I don't know some of the others. I've never run a marathon. I've never run a half marathon. Um, not saying that I wouldn't. Uh, it's not on my bucket list. Yeah. Uh, I like things that are intensely hard uh, in a shorter duration. That's just that's my that's more maybe my grab problem. a maybe grab a beer afterwards. Well, you're not a beer guy. Maybe grab a yeah grab a bourbon. A little, a little spirit, something you know, something to top it off. Just a reward. Along with that. No, you got to have a carrot. Life is all, you That's know, sticks. life is just sticks and carrots. You can quote me on that. That's, I will quote you on that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so That's cool, man. Um, let, dude, okay, let's talk about this because coaches will get excited. Um, athlete for life. So you mentioned you had some alumni come with you out and do uh, this challenge. You figured out that alumni continue, they want to train when they're done. However, and you did a master's thesis where you found out objectively that a lot of former athletes don't necessarily have good health outcomes once they graduate college. True. Psychologically and physically. So, you know, when athletics goes away, I mean, that's a big part of what your personality is for a long time. I mean, you have all these teammates that are there. You have coaches that kind of guide you day to day on, on how to stay active. But some of us never really learn what to do on our own. Um, And then you lose those connections. So the concept behind the company is, you know, athletes for life. As a strength coach, you typically only have them for four years. So whether that be high school or college, you get them for four years and then they go on and, and you lose them. My thought process was, and that was, I remember the first graduating class when I started at Drexel, I, I was devastated. Like, here they are moving on. I'm not going to see them again. Uh, that's never left me. I hate saying goodbye. So it's, well, maybe we don't necessarily have to. And here's a connection where, well, one, I can continue to give you guidance on uh, any part in your life where you want to continue to train. It doesn't need to be what we were doing in college, but if that's something that you want to continue to test yourself on, we can load those in. But you can also stay connected with your teammates. You can, no matter where they are in the country or in the world, you can still have some kind of dialogue through team builder um, to where you can work out with one another, you can train with one another. So, you know, that's been, uh, I mean, of the, of the alumni who are training, they do talk about it. It's, you know, and then they'll challenge. I mean, that was the one alumni that I went up to Whistler with was I want to train with you on that and then we'll go up and we'll compete together. Yeah. So she of course made the final and I did not. (laughs) 
When you're young, you can do anything when you're young, man. That's you know, true. You just keep yeah. going. Got to figure that out. Father time is definitely oh, the I'm, biggest I'm, competition we have. I'm just starting, I'm just experiencing it. I met a guy on LinkedIn, which is funny, who runs a, a track conditioning class. It's free. Go run on a track. Well, I'm a pen and paper strength app guy. You know, I like to go in and do three sets of squat and three sets of bench and a couple, you know, dumbbell pullovers. I'm not on the track anymore. I go out with this guy and we run a couple 100s and 200s and you know, we do this for an hour. And I'm telling you, man, it's I'm not young anymore. It's, it's different going out there and, and sprinting and, and doing things that you, you used to do. Um, it changes. Lose I'm, it, 30. Man. I'm 30. Lose I got to be careful. I got to be careful. Um, athlete for life. Just, you just say you have to be careful. Yeah, hey, <laughs> if I try to relive the glory days, you know, I might be, I might be wearing like a McDavid ankle brace in the work one day. That's okay. Just need more <laughs> equipment as we get older. That's right. That's right. Um, athlete for life for the listeners who don't know, um, uh, coach Rankin uses team builder, uh, continues to keep his alumni on there and gives them programming through Team Builder. They can see each other as if they're still on the same team. Of course, they're graduated. And it's a way for you to get them high-quality programming in their hands like they're used to. They pay you a small fee on a monthly or yearly basis, and that fee acts as a donation to your strength and conditioning program. So that, that's what you're doing with Athlete for Life. Um, it, the only tool you use for it is Team Builder. It doesn't take much to set up. Um, no. And um, it keeps you involved with the alumni. It keeps them involved. And it just it's a good idea all around. It's fantastic. I mean, especially after you build those relationships. And everybody knows how hard it is to, to keep in touch with everybody. If you can still provide a service, one that you genuinely enjoy doing, um, it, it's, a great, it's a great way to do so. And you maintain a relationship with these folks after they graduate. I mean, just, that's awesome. That's good stuff, man. Yeah, um, I mean, even during COVID, it's like, I can't believe you have all this stuff up. It's like, we can't get into the gym and you're making up this and that so that we can still be active at home. Yeah. Like, wow, I really appreciate that. I really felt that maybe it's like the service wasn't as good because I couldn't be as driven at the gym. And they're like, no, this is great. Like we have nowhere to go. Yeah. So no, yeah. it's been great. That's awesome, man. Uh, I want to talk about Philadelphia and the, the strength coaches there. So, you know, we're, us being in Maryland at Team Builder, we've gotten to know you and a lot of the other coaches in the Philly area. You guys have a tight network relative to, to other cities. It's really special. You talked about uh, Todd Barnes came to your, your birthday workout at the, uh, at the steps. Um, you guys run this thing called the Philadelphia Strength and Conditioning Roundtable, which is really awesome. I'd say it's gotten bigger every year, but I'd say now maybe 35 coaches get together in person literally in a circle and you jot down a list of topics that everyone wants to talk about and you just hash it all out. Usually it lasts about two or three hours, but realistically that could be an eight hour event. We always have to cut it short before we get through all the topics and finish talking about everything. But that seems like it's immensely more valuable than a lot of the forums and the formats that we get in the strength and conditioning industry. So that you want to talk about the Philly Roundtable and maybe just the network of coaches in the area in general? I mean, Sam Whitney did at Temple did a fabulous job of putting this together and getting the first one going. Um, and then all we did was basically branch off of his work uh, of getting that off, you know, off the ground and really building the relationship between everybody in the city and the surrounding area. Because we talk so much about forming a relationship with, with our student athletes and the people we work with every day. But 
we never take time to really get outside and visit the people who are so, especially in Philly, in such a close proximity. And it's not, I, I, look, it's great to, you know, pick up the phone and get somebody and talk to them. But to have that face-to-face and have something where it's more than just getting together at a conference and saying your hellos, your goodbyes, and maybe a question about maybe something that they spoke about or something that they're doing on their campus, you are. You're breaking bread. You're laughing. You're building relationships. You know, before COVID, we were getting together almost once a month uh, for like game nights or somewhere out in the city, not just you know, the once to twice a year round tables or luncheons, you know, Sam started putting on, you know, they went ax throwing. We went to uh, basically like a bar restaurant, which is all games. So like you go in, you pick up a board game uh, and you just sit there and you play. So, you know, there was all kinds of different things going on before this, um, this speed bump, you know, hit us and we can't necessarily do that. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, to me, it's you feel more comfortable contacting someone that you have that relationship with. And it doesn't have to just be about strength and conditioning. Some of our talks over this are, hey, man, how you doing? Like, what's going on? Um, everything OK? And not just at work. Are you OK at home? So because I think we all need that every once in a while. You know, it's the same people ask. And, you know, I think. Uh, people who don't know, I'm a big advocate of team builder, not just because of what the, the product is and the product is phenomenal, but it's because of the people who came up uh, and met with me and my staff. It's because of Hewitt and James. And then obviously the company has grown and those are the relationships that you want. I feel comfortable calling at any time if there's something going on, good or bad um, with, with the product or anything else. So, you know, to me that we only get one run at this. I'd rather do it with good people um, than just people who have something good to offer. Um, That's just not as high on my list. So when I first was invited to the round table, I I recognized that it was special. It was more than just um, it was more than just a round table. I mean, people had relationships and were genuinely interested in in helping each other out on like an ongoing basis, you know, with a relationship. Um, it was really cool. So when we were kind of invited as a part of this, it wasn't, you know, as a vendor, you know, buying lunch or something like that. It was to be a part of the conversation or be a part, you know, a fly on the wall and see how we could fit into, you know, to the whole thing. I thought it was really cool. I haven't really seen anything else like it. I mean, you know, the, the Philly Roundtable for me, I think is a, a really special deal. So, you know, if you're a young coach in the Philadelphia area, and you don't know about this, it's come one, come all, you know, this is one of the best things you can do to kind of show up and get plugged into. Um, so 15 minutes left, more or less, uh, let's turn to uh, remote training. Okay. So the way I've been kind of looking at this for a lot of college athletes who aren't going back anytime soon, is this is kind of like an off season, like a, like a summer off season without a defined timeline, which can be really tricky. Um, you know, you're not working towards a start date, it can be hard on motivation. It can be hard on you know, being consistent. Maybe these athletes are thinking about other things even beyond their collegiate athletic career. So have you sat down and, and thought to yourself about where the goals for your athletes as they train remotely? Is the goal you know, physical? Are you trying to get them stronger? Or where do you, how are you approaching this? Um, our goal from the onset was, one, first, make sure that they're safe. So – Immediately from the time that we shut down, everything was body weight at home. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. Um, then we did recommendations as to, Hey, this is going a lot longer than we thought it was going to go. Cause initially it was like, Hey, we're going to go home for 14 days right. and then we'll be back. So, you know, as it's gone on, we've given different recommendations, but really it's just our first priority is communication and making sure that our kids are okay. So, you know, and it's not as often as what it was maybe at the beginning, you know, it's, but Hey, let's just check in. Let's make sure that if you guys need anything, please reach out to us. And, you know, we have programs up for every one of our, uh, every one of our teams, anyone who reaches out to us individually and says, Hey, I have a home gym. Like this is what I have access to. Well, that changes what we're able to put in to their specific program. But you have other people who are like, I don't have anything. I live in a city where it's really not open yet. We can't go anywhere. No gyms accessible. What can I do? So, you know, to me, it's, it's really about the communication. What our goals are, are to keep our kids moving and progressing it in some way. Some of it's come back to the focus on more relative strength than absolute. That's been expressed to our coaches um, because, you know, obviously as coaches start to get closer to bringing the kids back on campus, well, Mike, how are we going to approach bringing them back on? How are we going to, you know, evaluate what they've been doing? And I go, well, obviously the first couple of days, the first couple of weeks, it's going to be just observing where we are. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're not necessarily going to throw them right back under a bar. That might not even be possible, but we right. want to highlight what they've been doing or take, you know, uh, safe steps, getting them to where they can actually return to competition. And to me, that might be looking at what they can do body weight that first week. Like, where are we? Let's make sure that we're doing things. Go ahead. Do you have a general expectation for when athletes come back? Do you think it's, do you think that's even fair? I wish I wish I had an answer for that. So, um, so Drexel being a quarter school, it typically doesn't come back until mid to late September anyway. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's when our students, our general student body would come back. Our fall sports would have started coming back very early August. Um, but when that got postponed, we, we had to shift what we were doing too. Um, so right now there's like tentative dates. Everything to me is tentative. I think I said to you before we got on this call, I really don't put much on my calendar, you know, because nothing really is concrete. Uh, everything can change on a dime right now. So it's just being prepared for when they do come back onto campus, no matter what that is. Um, and what that's going to look like, because I don't know what, facility I'll have. I don't know what um, is ultimately going to be the safest environment. So we have, my staff and I have maybe three, four different plans in place for when the kids come back, which is supposed to be now uh, the first day of classes. Mm -hmm. So which is uh, September 23rd, um, I believe, Um, maybe the 22nd. Uh, But that would be when we would start rolling people in. But, you know, with that, there's going to be a series of testing. They have to get, you know, basically put into pods um, so that they're always training with the same people. But our plan is, you know, pretty consistent across the board, you know, in, in coordination with what the NCAA has put out with, you know, safe guidelines on returning to returning to play and competition. Yeah. When you went through the process of designing at-home workouts, did you 
crack open an old exercise physiology book or i mean did you have a good idea for how are you going to design this thing or how did you take that my my thing is look i'm very fortunate of how i grew up on like a small farm all my jobs um as a youth were manual labor whether that be my my first job was farming like for a produce farm so picking corn and all of that then I went into construction and landscaping and it's always just been to me, odd object lifting. It's just manual labor. So when I walk into a gym, I just see replicating what real work used to be. You know, you're just loading it heavier because you're not doing an eight hour day of it. So to me, I felt almost at home. It's like, here are the things that we can do in our homes that you probably never thought of here Uh are the things that you might have lying around that can become very, very challenging. Um, and I've always said to my kids, it's like, look, when I go on vacation, I take very little with me, but I have to be active still. My body is my gym. So yeah, I can't load it as heavy, but I can manipulate different things to make that just as challenging um, as anything else, whether it's longer duration um, or taking away something, you know, it's like people go, well, push-ups aren't hard enough. All right, we'll do it with one hand. Yeah. And, oh, and that's too hard. Well, you just told me that two hands is too easy. Do a so, six-second tempo. I mean, there's ways around this. Yeah. So it's just finding new ways to, to challenge. And, you know, I think that, again, I'm really fortunate to work alongside two really, you know, great people and great strength coaches. So when we would jump on Zooms and just talk about, okay, what do we want to accomplish it was a very good and flowing conversation as to how we could still have some kind of an impact with our kids, um, knowing that they also were dealing with things that no one, including ourselves, had ever dealt with before. Yeah. So it's just about, hey, look, here's an hour um, or even a little bit more than that for you to kind of escape and do the thing that you love, which is move. You know, movement is their medicine. Um, and a way for them to feel good. Us too. Yeah. Well, and I, I'm really glad that we were able to provide that and had, you know, an outlet to do so. Yeah. You know, the manual labor thing, picking stuff up around the house. I, I visited my family in Nashville. I've got my youngest brother. He's like 21 years old. You know, same thing. Jim shut down. He's like, hey, Hewitt, do you want to do a paint bucket walk with me? I was like, what? what's going on here? He's like, yeah, I pick up these big paint buckets. I walk around the neighborhood with them. I was like, it's awesome. I was like, no, I'm good. I'm good. I walked out the door to walk to like the neighborhood pool or something. I see my brother rocking around 15 gallon paint buckets with a shirt off. And I was like, do you do this every day? He was like, yeah, just about. I was like, do the neighbors get freaked out? He was like, yeah, probably. (laughs) Uh, Who cares? No, he's like, this guy doesn't care. Yeah. He's walking around every day with paint buckets. There's a, there's a way, you know, the, the kids can find a way. Have any kids reached out to you though? And they're like, look, I really, I really struggle with this. You know, there's always the, the kids who love their sport and they get the weight room done because they're on campus and it's on the schedule. But when they go back home, it's a little bit of a struggle. You know, maybe they like playing lacrosse, but they really have a hard time doing it. Have you talked to kids with that, about that conversation or how does that go? There's been a few. Um, yeah. You know, early on in this, I jumped on to what, like the student athletic, it's called SAC. I, I'll know, I'll forget one of the, uh, student Athletic Advisory Council. So mm-hmm. I jumped onto one of their meetings. And, you know, at the time, everybody was, 
I mean, do you remember when this started? Everybody was, hey, let's, you know, make this as positive as possible. And everything that you posted and everything you heard was, you know, just great. And I remember at the end saying, look, I'm not great. Like, I had a week where I didn't really get up off my couch. I was like, I really need to, like, find that drive. I miss the weight room. I miss goal setting. I miss the kids. I miss everything about what we do. And probably every kid on that call emailed me after going, thank you for like sharing that. The fact that you're struggling, we stayed on that Zoom after you got off and talked about how each of us are struggling. Mm-hmm. And that it's okay if, if Rankin's struggling, it's okay for us to feel that. And I was like, ooh, I'm glad that I shared that. Um, but everybody else, it's just even the strongest people now are hitting their wall. Mm -hmm. You know, you're getting that COVID fatigue. Yeah. It's a real thing. I think we all need to figure out a way to regroup, um, pull it together because I've never felt, I said this to my best friend last night. I'm like, uh, do you remember what it was like on nine 11? I never felt like a country was more united and together. And I go, but I hear those words now every day. Oh, we're all in this together. And I go, I've never felt more separated from the country and loved ones and friends because you have to be distanced. And I go, but at some point, a leader literally has to pull us together again to make this COVID fatigue a little less impactful so that we can work towards one mission. Even if we fail, we do it together and we pick ourselves back up and dust ourselves off and and start to work towards something else until we get this right. And I'm waiting for that. Um, But at the same time, it's, I'm trying to be that. I'm trying to, I I see that within our department. It might not be nationally, but within our small area, I'm hoping that we're those leaders that our kids need, knowing that we're not infallible either. And we're honest about it. It's like, yeah, I'm struggling today envisioning a moment where when this is all over, someone can come to you and say, Hey, you really came through for me. At, at that uh, I hope so. Yeah. You know? That would be a dream. Yeah. And that, that, that can be a vision. Um, if a sports coach comes to you and says, Hey, uh, Mike, what are the KPIs for our, 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 our key performance indicators for these athletes while they're home? Is, is that, is it that the question's out of bounds? I mean, do you think there's, it's much more than, than KPIs at this point? It's not out of bounds, especially with, you know, sports that, you know, with any coach, it's how are we measuring these things? Um, And I think I've been brutally honest to the point where people probably get a little bit angry. It's like, hey, look, I'm not crunching their numbers right now. Mm -hmm. So, you know, typically we would send out reports recently to our captains and we want them to kind of police it a little bit. Yeah. Um, but to be honest, there were a couple of reports that came back that there wasn't much information and data. Yeah. And from conversations, it's kids are finding personal trainers or things like that, you know, when they're home and that's okay. We just want them to kind of be moving and doing things. If they can give us any information, that's great. Like some share videos, um, you know, others will contact us just to talk, um, about what, you know, modifications we can make. But when the coaches ask for, for details, my response typically is, first and foremost, we need to make sure that they're just moving. They're going to come back. They're going to be okay. We're going to make sure that the kids are ready to perform when it's time. Yeah. Uh, 
And I think that you've said this, it's, look, we're going to have three categories and this doesn't change. So we're going to have kids that no matter what happens, they're going to find a way to come back and be just a leaps and bounds above everybody else. There, there is nothing that's going to slow them down. You're going to have people right in the middle who are going to go, you know, and do everything that you ask them to do. And then you're going to have, you know, another group that they just don't do much. They, they want to use preseason as their time to get into shape. Yeah. Those three things are always going to exist in my opinion. So when we come back, we just have to find a way to keep everybody moving forward so that the best people who come back get better. The people who are in the middle also get better. And the people who came in maybe not in the best condition can also get better without really slowing anybody down or hurting anybody. And that's kind of our approach right now with what they're doing at home. We're going to send information to them um, with, hey, look, this is what your teammates are doing. If you guys feel that you need to reach out to them or if there's something that we need to, to you know, kind of intervene or step in or give guidance on, then please know that we're here. Um, but, you know, even with compliance stuff, like they have to make an effort to reach out to us mm-hmm. um, if it's going to be like workout driven, like we can't have a mandatory workout right now. Yeah. Um, so, you know, to me, it's, I want to make sure that our kids are okay and that they're moving. Um, so we provide something for them to do. If they're not putting a lot of information in right now, we're okay with that. Um, it just drives to us, Hey, this might be a time where we reach out. Yeah. You know, we're just going to check in and see how you're doing. And if, you know, they come back with something that concerns us, we bring in even our broader team, which would be our performance team, whether that be sports, psych, nutrition, um, you know, if it's even beyond that, like we'll, we'll reach out to the coach um, and see, hey, we might just need to jump on a call. Yeah, good, good stuff. We're at the top of the hour here, so we'll, we'll wrap it up, man. But um, any reading, doing any reading during uh, quarantine? Uh, I'm doing more stand-up paddle boarding, and then I'm hosting, <laughs> I'm hosting a lot of games. So the reading that I'm doing, so what I found was people need a break. Yeah. Um, so early on, I started hosting family feud games nice. uh, for family and friends. So I keep trying to elaborate on that. So I read a lot of trivia questions. Um, I've been trying to read uh, Anatomy Trains and some, the NSCA, like uh, special populations, like just get a broader idea on, you know, maybe how to, to train outside of athletes, you know, kind of broaden up on that a little bit more. I think that'll be our next venture. That's good. That's fun stuff. We've got, uh, I've got a guy writing an article on Team Builder soon about how to train fighter pilots, accounting for things. Fighter like G- pilots. Yeah, for a G-force. Um, oh, cool. So he's, he's going through a, a class of training now, and he's kind of you know, writing some stuff down for the blog. So something new and different, I'm sure, will be fun for, for people who are you know, interested, different dimension. But yeah. yeah, I'll be interested in reading that too. Yeah, cool. Well, folks, we're going to wrap it up. As always, I put Mike's preferred contact information out there again. If you're a coach in the Philadelphia area, get in touch. Try to you know get tapped into this Philadelphia community. It's really awesome. Mike, thanks for your time coming on here, man. I really appreciate it. Hey, man, anytime. Always good to catch up with you, Hewitt. Um, hopefully, you know you you remain safe and healthy, as does your family and everybody close to you. Yeah, I appreciate that. I think one of the last times I saw Mike in person, he put James and I through a little circuit training that ended with a Versa climber where James and I couldn't get up and walk off the floor. It wasn't that Mike was being brutal on us. I think James and I just deserved that for an activity. (laughs) 
Well, I look forward to being able to do that again. Um, so, you know, whenever this is over, hopefully, you know, either you guys make it up here or I'll make it down there. So, but I always look forward to seeing you, even if it's, you know, through a computer screen. Same here. Hopefully sooner rather than later. Yeah, man. Take care. All right. You too, buddy. See you, man. All right, do it. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.